TheOAMNetwork.com. Power to the podcast. Welcome to the Permanent Record on the Road. I'm Josh Spickler, Executive Director of Just City. We're a nonprofit criminal justice reform organization based in Memphis, Tennessee. The Permanent Record is our podcast about the criminal justice system and how we can work together to make it work better for everyone. For this episode, we're going to share the second of two conversations we had on a recent trip to Nashville. State Representative Jeremy Faison represents the 11th District in Far East Tennessee, the most beautiful part of the state, he told us. He calls Cosby, Tennessee home for himself, his small business, his five children, and his lovely wife, Miriam. Elected in 2010 when the Republicans established a supermajority in the General Assembly, Representative Faison is chair of the House Government Operations Committee. He was quite candid and spoke passionately with us about his primary issue, that's bringing medicinal cannabis to Tennessee, but he also laid out his desire for expungement reform, a smaller prison population, and generally smaller, less intrusive government. We think you'll be pleasantly surprised to hear what he had to say. We sat down with Representative Faison in his office at Legislative Plaza on Capitol Hill in Nashville. Representative Faison, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Uh, you are, are from Far East Tennessee, a long way from Memphis. Tell us where you're from. I am. I'm from the actually the most beautiful area in the whole state <laughs> of Tennessee. I represent Cock County, Greene County, and Jefferson County, and I live in a little community called Colesby, Tennessee. It's uh, I live a few miles away from the entrance to the Great Smoky Mountain National Park. Right. And uh, I live right underneath the Foothills Parkway. Wow. And uh, if you came there, you would think, my goodness, this is truly God's country well, here. Well, I was there about hmm, less than a month ago. My okay. family and I went, spent some time at Bryson City, so we yeah. drove through somewhere probably you did. near. You drove right past my exit then. Yeah. yeah. yeah it, was, it is beautiful. It is beautiful. What do you do for a living there? This is a part-time legislature. It is a part-time legislature. And for a living, I have a pest control business, and we have a handful of employees and been doing pest control for 20 years now. How long have you been in the legislature? I was elected in 2010. Okay. Absolutely. And so you've run four times for re-election, is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Why'd you run? Why did you want to be in the state? You know, that's a whole story in itself, but just suffice to say, in 2007... November of 2007, the election went to Obama. And I was sitting on my couch in Cosby, Tennessee, and I looked at my wife and said, my gosh, we've just given the country to a socialist. And I said, I'm going to get in politics. She said, that's crazy. (laughs) I started watching my state representative. He was voting all over the place, wrong in a lot of areas. And I just happened to see him one day. I said, you know what? His name was Eddie. I said, Eddie, I think I'm going to run against you. And he looked at me and said, well, that's ridiculous. You can't beat me. And, son, that put a fire in my belly. (laughs) And it really had nothing to do with me. It had to do with the timing. In 2010, it was a complete wash Mm -hmm. for Republicans. I remember. And and then, obviously, I believe God played a big role in that, too. So, uh, But uh, that's how we got into it. I think we found our our lead for this. Inspired by Obama, Representative (laughs) Faison runs for state house. So you're from, uh, uh, you know, we're at Just Cities in Memphis, and you, I I tracked from Newport, Tennessee. Is that nearby? Mm, Newport's the the bigger city in Cock County. 430 miles from Memphis, Tennessee. I, I looked on Google. Maps. So, how do you um, how do you govern a state like Tennessee that is so geographically diverse? It's so large. How do you honor your principles, which you've shared a little bit with us, and uh, and but also account for the realities in a place like Memphis that's so far away in so many ways? You know, th- this is a diverse state, and obviously that's why we have three stars on our flag because there's right. three grand divisions. And 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 unfortunately, right now in America, we see. 
um, partisanship at an all-time high. And to me, I'm, I'm very disgusted with it. And to be perfectly honest with you, I am not as concerned with the party system as some people are in politics. I'm all about policy. I, I, if you watch my work, you'll see that I, I will work with the Democrat as fast as I work with the Republican. It's all about policy. And I think to to effectively govern a state like this or to do a good job governing the state, you should look at it not from a party standpoint, but from what's good fiscal policy. Mm-hmm for the entire people, for the group sure. of our state. And, and that, that would be where that I, I would want to see us – common things, it's limited government, freedom. Mm-hmm. Government doesn't belong in my wallet and government doesn't belong in my bedroom. And, and I think somebody govern a state that way, you're going to see a state running pretty good. Sure. So let's talk about some of that policy. You've been a pretty outspoken uh, member of, of this body uh, and especially of your, your party, the Republican Caucus, on the issue of medicinal marijuana. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've researched it. Uh, you're part of a committee or a, mm-hmm. an ad hoc committee that's been appointed. Uh, and you've been, I know, out of state looking at other states' uh, laws and operations around medicinal marijuana. Why is this topic important to you? Well, first of all, this plant has been demonized now for about 90 years, incorrectly demonized. And I have sat with countless Tennesseans from East Tennessee all the way to West Tennessee, and they've moved from this state to another state. They're a refugee in another state who longed to come home. And what I'm finding because of the right, illegality of the, right, marijuana. They're finding the state that they can use us. And these aren't people who just want to go get high. Right. These are people like little Maggie Samowski, who's from Nashville, Tennessee. I mean, from Greenville, Tennessee, and who's moved over there, and her life is being saved. The doctors told her that she might live for six months, told her parents she might live for six months. Well, she started kindergarten this year, oh, wow. and she's doing great. And she's off all of these horrible side effect-riddled prescriptions that were mm-hmm. destroying her little body, and she's on cannabis oil every day of her life. And she's surviving. She's living well. So when you see that, you realize, wait a minute, we've been lied to about a plant. Maybe there's something more to this. And the more I research it, the more layers of this onion I peel back, the more I realize this is right. This is right for our state. This is right for our sick people. And government was wrong to bring this type of war against drugs in the first place. Yeah. It is a miserably failed war Yeah, yeah. I drugs. Would, I would agree with you there. So, you, But you've been very clear about uh, this not being uh, a gateway toward recreational use. So, so can you clarify that Absolutely. stance? Do, no, do people it's not understand at all. the difference in Tennessee? Do, it's not at all a gateway to recreational use. And, and I, unfortunately, when you hear that, it, it's disappointing because it comes from an ignorance of what the truth is. Everybody likes to compare, well, look what they're doing in Colorado. The sky's falling. <laughs> well, in reality, the sky's not falling there. Yeah, what did you it, learn when you went out there? Well, what I'm about to tell you. Thanks. Sorry. So, <laughs> first of all, they started out as a rec state. They didn't start with a medical state and then all of a sudden usher in recreational. They actually started out as a recreational state and realized, hey, man, this plant is actually helping some sick people. Let's Let's get medical in here so they they can have some benefits from the medical use of it, number one. So yeah, I saw an abundance of good things for the people who are using that plant med- medically. Now, you brought up an interesting point. I want, There's a huge, clear delineation between the medical use of this plant and medical-grade cannabis and street pot and a bag of weed. Huge difference. But that being said, we're over an 80% rate of recidivism for drug users. Right. What are we doing continuing doing the same thing over and over and over? We've got people who are hurting bad. They're hurting bad enough that they'll do meth. 
I mean, yeah. you really you've got some serious scars and serious pain to go do meth, and unfortunately, we're putting them in jail. Yeah. We're locking them behind bars for six months, seven months, a year, eleven, twenty nine, whatever, and they come out. What do they do? They keep doing it. We, I, I, so the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over and thinking that one day you're going to get a different result. So let me ask you this then. I mean, I'm not – well, it's a – polls show us that most Americans would choose some sort of legalization. Many in your party, though, continue down this road the, uh, that, that demonizes the drug. Uh, what do you say to them? How are you going to there, there's rally a couple them things to this you need cause? To, to Remind them of, and and I'll walk you down this. First of all, alcohol and tobacco are toxins. When my colleagues look at me, I had one this year who was drinking a martini. Says, I can't believe you're trying to bring (laughs) marijuana to this state. As he's drinking a martini, sucking it back, fixing to get his next one. And he said, you're just bringing the moral demise of our state here, Jeremy. That's a great As he's drinking a martini. So, so I looked at him and I said, well, let's just do some research. Get out your cell phone and let's see how many people have been killed in America by alcohol this year. Yeah. Then let's see how many people have been killed because of even the recreational use yeah. of, of cannabis. Yeah. Well, he didn't want to go down that aisle with me. <laughs> of course not. Because we find out that cannabis in its natural pure form is not a toxin. Alcohol and tobacco are. So getting them to realize, first of all, we've demonized something that's actually pretty safe, and we've lifted up something that's killing us. And prescription pills. Right. Did you see this year? I did. That Tennessee has on track to go way more than they went in 2015. And correct me if I'm wrong. Have I seen studies that show that in states where medical marijuana is legal, the opioid problem is not quite as bad? Is that right? A minimum of 30% is going down because there's a lot of people who are hurting right now, physically hurting, intractable pain, Mm -hmm. and they hate what opiates do to them. You you can't use the bathroom when you get on opiates. There's all kind of things that nobody wants to say out in public. But the deal is they hate it, and they know that they're going to get addicted to it. And when you get addicted to this crap, you'll steal from your own mom to support your habit. So there's people who want a viable alternative that works. And there's a strain in the cannabis plant called indica strain. And I'm telling you, it works for pain, and it'll help these guys get away from this opiate legal prescription that's shutting their bodies down. Right. So so it looks like there's been progress. The speaker appointed this committee that you're on. What are the steps that that committee is going to take, and ha- what does that look like at the end of that ad So this is, this is an exciting thing. We're engaging people from all over Tennessee. We have people coming Thursday from Memphis, actually, and we have doctors. We have we have attorneys like yourself. We, we have people who are smarter than us coming in to tell us the benefits. We also have the Tennessee Department of Health, who's going to be 100% against me, and I've got our law enforcement, our police chief association, our sheriff's association, the DA's association. They're all against it because they've swallowed this stinking Kool-Aid that somehow we have to punish a person that hurts themselves. When did the Constitution ever give us the right to protect me from me? <laughs> Lawmakers have no authority to come in and protect me from me. Health-wise or physical-wise. So what we're going to see, I believe, is we're going to see the same worn-out lies that we've been told for 90 years that Henry Anslinger, Anslinger back in the 20s who started these lies. It was a racist thing with him. He brought it all about race, and he used he played on the black people and arrested them like crazy and then tried to show the white people how, look, it's black people using this. It's really sick. You ought to study the history of it. Yeah, and we've, just, we've listened to all of this all the way up to now, and we're still using the same worn 
worn out lies. So I believe what we're going to do in these these next three task force meetings is you're going to see truth from doctors in Tennessee who say, you know what, I can't prescribe it, but I have countless patients who are benefiting greatly, and it's far safer for them than the stuff I'm putting them on for cerebral palsy or for the stuff I'm putting on for pleurisy or whatever they're having. You're going to see it's a huge benefit. You've you've said you've said just now, and I think you've said before that this is ultimately about getting government out of our lives. And you said that a second ago about our bedrooms and our pocketbooks. But uh, this body has kept local or uh, municipalities like Memphis and Nashville specifically from decriminalizing marijuana. I know that's a different issue, but how does how do you reconcile? Or or I don't know how you voted on that. Maybe we could talk about that. (laughs) But how do you reconcile those two positions? I I believe government that's closer to the people is the best. However, what Nashville did. Actually, Memphis never went through with it. They talked about it right. and never actually went through it. What Nashville did was a little bit sketchy. And, and, and although I understand what they were trying to do, the rule, the law that they passed basically allowed the law enforcement officer discretion if he wanted to arrest somebody or not. Well, they've already got that discretion. And, and uh, so it, it, it looked a little bit nefarious the way they actually did it. But I think you're going to see like the District of Columbia and 29 other states – there is no reason for us to have this prohibition on this plant. Yeah. It, it, it's a silly, losing war. Right. Well, I don't want to pigeonhole you into one issue because I know you've talked a little bit about criminal, criminal yeah. justice reform uh, earlier. And so uh, what's on other, what other things are on your agenda for, uh, for the second half of the session that's going to start in January? Well, obviously for me, I believe firmly in criminal justice. The, the whole notion that when a person commits a crime, they deserve to have a life sentence. And what does that mean? Not necessarily life sentence behind bars, but we give them a record. Yeah. And, and, and y'all are from Memphis, and I think of a lot of these young black men that I've met who, when they were 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 years old, young, not thinking correctly, right. very similarity to Appalachian guys yeah. who were raised, might not have both parents in the home, drug-riddled neighborhoods, very similarity, believe it or not, in Appalachia as there is in inner city Memphis. Sure. But what we've done is we've picked them up on drug charges. The DA gets all you know, excited, and, and they say, well, we found a bag of weed. We're gonna, they're, they're here trying to sell it. They have intent to sell. And so now we've got them trafficking drugs. So we put a felony right. on their life. And you know what we've done? They can't get a job. You can't survive in America when you, when you can. But it, it's already difficult to sure. make it. But once you put a felony or a right. criminal record on a person's back – then tell them to go and, and, and make it, it's not easy. So when it comes to criminal justice, first of all, I think our children, the way we criminalize children is, is, is whacked. We, we've got kids who are getting life sentences. And then when it comes to nonviolent felonies, and I want your, your listeners to understand, a nonviolent felony should never have a life sentence. And when I say life sentence, I mean to have a record that you towed around your neck, almost like the scarlet letter yeah. for the rest of your life. Did we not learn anything from the scarlet letter? <laughs> and I understand you want to, to demonize a person if they've raped somebody or killed somebody and give them a record for the rest of their life. But if you have a nonviolent felony, you actually haven't physically hurt somebody. Why the hell are we putting you right. under this the rest of your life? Yeah. So, number one, I'd like to see expungements. Yeah, And number two, two <laughs> whoever came up with this idea of a lifetime of a record, 
Right. They need to be hit in the head with that microphone. Right. Said, what are you thinking? You, you've ruined somebody's life. If we've not hurt anybody, let's let's get away from this lifetime stuff and just have it automatically go in. That you don't have that. Right. Once you've paid your debt to now, this is important. Your listeners need it. Once you've paid your debt to society for a nonviolent felony, you need to. That's it. Move on. Once we pay our debt, listen. If you if you right now go bankrupt and you file Chapter Eleven. You can start over, right? Guess what? It happens in seven years. Yeah. Can they hold that crap against you anymore? No. Right. But somehow a dude gets caught selling somebody, uh, uh, you know, an eight ball. He's going to have a felony for the rest of his life. My gosh. What are we thinking? I know. Well, believe me, you're talking to the right people. (laughs) So, But let's talk about literal life sentences. So you've expressed some interest in a bill that we're doing a little bit of work on about reforming how we uh, sentence people who committed uh, their offense as children, as people Mm -hmm. under 18. Mm -hmm. Uh, In Tennessee, we sort of fall outside the Supreme Court's recent decision because we don't give them natural life sentences. And we we didn't automatically give uh, people life without parole sentences here. But we have a 60-year life sentence. So we have – we've Found nearly 300 people serving time in Tennessee's prisons for offenses they committed uh, at the age of 17, 16, 15, 14. I think the youngest is 13 years old. You've expressed some interest in that bill. Um, talk to us about that. Do you, do you, you know, support it, reform it, of that sort? When it comes to the reforms for child crime and they've been transferred, I think, and I've seen, sat and talked with some kids that are grown now. We got it wrong. You need to take into impact, into effect, what exactly went into their life. There's a little lady that's in her 20s now, Centoya Brown. Right. I've been to prison to see her. Centoya was 16 years old. She was being pimped out. Now, right. think about this. And a 40-something-year-old man picked her up. She was 16 years old. 40-something-year-old man. And nobody's mad at him or his family. They get mad at her because she killed him that night right. and robbed him. She's doing drugs, but she's been pimped out. And she got a life sentence. Something's gravely wrong with the fact that a guy is prostituting a girl. And the girl still gets a life sentence. We've messed up. I don't think we're doing that a whole lot here. And But it all depends on the jury you get and the DA you get. We have some amazing DAs. If you want a real high-powered attorney, some of these assistant DAs. But unfortunately, we've lost being smart on crime right. and doing what's if, – if what our desire is to stop the behavior and, and, and bring healing – we're not doing that. Yeah. What we're doing is perpetuating their lifestyles. Yeah, and in fact, what we have, you know, you're leading right into my next question. Between 2010 and 2015, Tennessee's prison population grew by 10%. Mm-hmm. Uh, the budget for that uh, Department of Correction grew by 7%. That makes us one of only 15 states that uh, both grew the population and the budget over that period of time. So why do you think – and that's expensive, and you've talked about small government, and uh, I know many in your party talk about that. And this state is, you know, a, a, major, or a super majority uh, state. In terms of Republicans, why have we not seen um, conservative leadership on this issue of criminal justice that is so expensive, as you point out, and is wasting so much of our money? Thirty-six thousand dollars a year, average. So, what I believe is, a lot of my colleagues that are Republicans, it bids well to go home and say, "Look how tough we are on crime." And so, we we passed laws. And when I first got here, I was all about being tough on crime. I want to be tough on crime, but I want to be smart on crime. And so, I think since 2010, you see that we've we've increased penalties. And, and we, we've done things that we're going to find out didn't work. 
Right. And do you find from from your constituents when you go home? I mean, you've done this three or four times now. Do, do they? Is this an issue with them? The, the fact that you want to be smart, that you want to maybe reverse some of these stiffer penalties and maybe shrink our budget and shrink our prison population. Has it has it come back to bite you? Well, yeah. In my last uh, primary, I had my primary opponent. He did his best to wear me out because I was part of a bill that would help somebody like Centoya, and he used it openly against me on the radio and the newspaper and mailers. Uh, it, it, he used it big time against me. I, I don't. It might. <laughs> I had to answer a lot and explain myself. But we still won overwhelmingly, which I, I, I'm very grateful for. And uh, so, so I, what would you say to your colleagues then, who who haven't followed your lead in being bold and outspoken and sponsoring <laughs> le, le, legislation like that? I mean, I, uh, to to do your research. That's what happens with cannabis or with or with criminal justice. Don't listen to the loud people talking. They're going to hurt you. Do your own research. Go down and sit and talk with one of these kids and find out what was going on in their life when they got sent to juvenile the first time. Find out how their dad raped them or cut their privates or did something heinous to them when they're nine years old. And find out what's going on with them now and and, and kind of get your mind around what happened to them. How did you end up like this? And And you realize, whoa, we as a society weren't there to intervene when dad or uncle or aunt or whatever did something to them, and now we're mad at them when they're 15 years old and they lash out. So I, I, what I would encourage my colleagues to do is before you just jump on a loud bandwagon with the mob at home saying, oh, let's just lock the door and throw away the keys, maybe we should study and, and look at the development of the brain that hasn't even fully happened yet. And and, and let's let's find out why, why, what happened to get you there in the first place mm-hmm. and, and look at that as, as a whole picture, not just Everybody needs to go. See, one of the problems we do is we just one size fits all. We just say, let's pass a law, and everybody who does X, Y, Z, they're going to get 35 years. Here's the deal. There is no crime that's actually exactly the same. You know, there's this big push, push for truth and sentencing. What we need to do is make sure our judges have some discretion to be able to analyze all of the data and say, well, we understand what happened here. We understand what happened. Maybe, maybe life sentence isn't right for you. you know? So yeah. I, hopefully they'll just start researching it themselves. Right. Well, that's incredibly refreshing. I, I don't want to take up any more of your time. Thank you so much for having yeah. us today and here in your office, and we really appreciate you coming on The Permanent Record. God bless you guys. Thank you. Thanks. That was State Representative Jeremy Faison in conversation and on The Permanent Record. My thanks to Representative Faison for taking some time out to chat with us. Thanks, as always, to Gil Worth and the OEM Network for providing support and distribution of the permanent record, the best podcast network in Memphis. Check them out at theoamnetwork.com. Or next time you're at Crosstown Concourse, they've got a brand new studio there. As usual, special thanks to Jeff Hewlett for She Got Gone, the original theme music for the permanent record. I'm Josh Spickler. This is The Permanent Record, a production of Just City. We've got a brand new website at justcity.org. Check it out. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Make sure you subscribe to The Permanent Record on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to you, we have over 2,300 subscribers on Apple Podcasts. So don't stop now. Give us a rating. Leave us a review. Share it with your friends. It helps us build our audience. In a just city, we listen and we speak up. Our thanks to you for doing both.